the Carson Price for Wednesday, January 24th, 2024. We're coming to you from the Go Goat Sports Studio built by Arbor Lee here at the Iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver, where if you're heading to a game or an event downtown, make it a staycation. Call the wall, 604-331-1000. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grace Sassett and Switches, conducting things alongside intern Lachlan Irvin. we got a Big show coming up. It's all brought to you by Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan and Langley's got the Nissan Rogue. This is a bestseller for good reason. Right now, you can get into it for 3.99%, and you get the winter tire offer included there. You can buy a set of partner brand winter tires and get up to 170 bucks off. So that with a Rogue, pretty sweet ride. Head to Applewood Nissan in Langley. It's all good in Applewood. Do you think we'll need winter tires again here in the city this year? Uh, I don't think in the urban center, but if you're planning on skiing, let's right. hope. Let's hope. Please. I've been telling my parents, they're new to Vancouver, that yeah, spring, mid, mid-February, the bloom is on. Just you wait. It's been a while since we saw the crocuses and, and uh, cherry blossoms in Feb, but maybe this year. One can always hope. Poll question today, should the Canucks trade this year's first-round pick for Sean Monaghan, centerman, Montreal Canadiens? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikharson Price on Twitter and YouTube. More on that in a second as we mark the one-year anniversary of Rick Tockett's first game with the Vancouver Canucks. As mentioned earlier in the week, he's coached 82 games with the Canucks, uh, 83 I guess now, and has them on a 110-point pace. And look, we understand that management has done its part. It's a better bottom six here. It's a better defense, better backup goaltender than what we saw last year. But has Rick Tockett been the biggest catalyst of this turnaround? Because I think you can make that case, and I don't think you can make that case very often with a coach in this sport. But I think it's been that dramatic, that extreme, the talking effect on these Canucks. It's the easiest uh, explanation for uh, why a lot of guys are having career years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just too coincidental. Like, what are the chances you get a dozen guys on career years right now? And it's the easiest explanation as to why the core seems to be working better than it has after multiple years together under other head coaches, right? Yeah. So when you have the same group, but they're put together differently by a, a new person and, and have success. That's really the only explanation. I don't think Teddy Bluger alone you know, mm-hmm. is the key, for instance. You know, it's, it's the accumulation of everybody being put in the right spots by Rick Tocca. Well, and many would say a healthy Thatcher Demko and absolutely fair. Factor, and yeah. Philip Fronick coming in on the right side. Of course, we didn't see him very much with the Canucks. But even he, career year. year. No, yeah. but, you know, that's the thing is, okay, you can say a healthy Demko, but just the gap between last year's team and this year's team is so, so extreme. And, yeah. you know, players who, as you say, are having career years who weren't working out as Canucks last year, like a Connor Garland, like a Tyler Myers, who are working out this year. Okay, on this poll question, and a lot of early voting here, very lopsided in the no column, and some saying, guys, why are we even asking this question? Mentioned this yesterday. Frank Saravelli did a deep dive in a fantastic article at Daily Faceoff on Sean Monahan and what the Montreal Canadiens can expect by way of return. Now, we went through Sean Monahan's game on Tuesday's program 
something I didn't mention but meant to is Frank also went back and looked at centermen of roughly this profile and what they fetch at the NHL trade deadline. So I'm going to give you three examples here going back several years. The New York Rangers and Winnipeg Jets, a trade for Andrew Kopp. Rangers acquired Andrew Kopp and a sixth-round pick. The cost at the time of the deadline, two second-round picks, a fifth-round pick, and Morgan Barron, who has turned into a bottom-six NHL player for the Jets. That second-rounder became a first-rounder because the Rangers advanced to the conference final and Kopp played in X number of games. It was a conditional second. So it winds up being a first, a second, a fifth, and Morgan Barron for Kopp in a sixth. That's a pretty heavy price to pay. Barkley Goodrow, Tampa Bay Lightning, acquired from the San Jose Sharks. Goodrow and a third-round pick to the Lightning from San Jose for a first-round pick and a C-level prospect. That's probably relatively cheap in comparison to be able to get a third-round pick back, so effectively you're dropping two rounds in the draft for Barkley Goodrow. Winnipeg Jets, St. Louis Blues, Paul Stastny. Jets acquire Paul Stastny with 50% of his salary retained by the Blues for a first-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and the rights to an unsigned collegiate player who was actually a decent, halfway decent prospect when the deal was made. You take a look at those sorts of prices, and don't get me wrong, Cop. Goodrow, Stastny, all good players. I'd argue they're all roughly in the Sean Monaghan realm. And so that's what leads Frank to conclude. He thinks the Canadians are going to get a first-round pick for Monaghan. And we should note, as many are saying in the comments, it's not like we're talking about a typical Vancouver Canucks first-round pick. We're talking about a first-round pick where... If the Canucks, you know, dare to dream, get to a conference final, Stanley Cup final, it could be as late as 28 through 32. Even a second round appearance. Even if it's in the mid-20s. Yeah. And in a draft that nobody is really sitting there saying generational, deep, anything like that, could very well be a good draft. But it's not like some of the drafts previous where already we were hearing about how great the crop of talent But you should also take a look at who else is around him right now. 31 points this season for Sean Monaghan, Mm -hmm. equal to Tarasenko and Lindholm. Yep. Um, If we had made the poll question, which player would you give up your first-round pick for? I think Lindholm probably wins that hand down. I bet you Monaghan finishes third in the voting there. Um, Well, but Lindholm is going to be plus-plus. Well, that's what I'm saying. So way bigger acquisition costs right. for a guy that's got the same production. And over the course of their career, mm-hmm. uh, Sean Monaghan, 229 goals in 728 games. Lindholm, 211 goals, 790 games. Like Monaghan, for his career, a far bigger goal scorer. Now, you don't have to reach as far back for Lindholm to yeah. find a 42-goal season. You have to go a few years further back for Monaghan. But ultimately, 
the pedigree's there. He seems to be enjoying health. He's played 47 games this season for the Montreal Canadiens, so clearly he's the healthiest he's been in some time. So I think you can believe a little bit more on what you're seeing there, that the point totals are reminiscent of where he's at at this moment. I get the reticence, folks. Yeah, oh, it doesn't? There's been a handful of pretty indifferent years here for Sean Monaghan, and he's not the player that he was with the Calgary Flames. Mm-hmm. But if he's half the player, that's a decent that's a decent trade deadline right. pickup for again and folks you're overpaying at the deadline oh I've... like you have to be re- refresh your mindset you're... here you don't get market value you have to pay up you're overpaying for the top guys yeah you you may find a bargain or at least a fair trade down market a little bit but for the rentals i think monahan's gonna be a top guy in the rental well in the rental market i think Lindholm and gensel are the two big prizes here in terms of rentals yeah but you got to ask yourself, if it's a first-round pick for Monaghan, but it's a first and Hoaglander and something else. For Lindholm? For Lindholm or Gensel. Yeah. Not to mention the fact, Gensel and Lindholm, you were also going to have to do some cap gymnastics there. You probably have to send money back, which means you're sending a player back. Or does Susie all of a sudden stay on LTIR till the end oh, of the season? I was thinking about that, Blake, but if he's yeah. due back in early March... Do you really want his last game in mid to late January? Not ideal. No. So, you know, Monahan feasibly you add with no subtraction to your team, whereas Lindholm and Gensel are probably going to require subtraction yeah. from your team that has been so fantastic. And, of course, we've heard from so many Canucks fans who say, don't screw up the chemistry of this group, which I think is a decent shout. Now, if we go a little further down market, and I reached out to a friend in Ottawa today, Steve Lloyd of the uh, TSN station there on Vladimir Tarasenko. And Steve thought he was having a pretty good year here. He's a heavy guy. He forechecks. He, uh, you know, he's a thicker dude as well. He's not afraid of contact. So he's not your typical Russian winger, even though he's a diminished player from his heights. He's had a lot of big injuries there. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's got the Stanley Cup pedigree. Now, again, the money there on Tarasenko, and of course we are also in a world where you would anticipate some of these sellers at the deadline will be able to retain money as much as 50% as allowed by the CBA. But he's a $5 million guy, so are you going to be able to hit fit him seamlessly? Would you have to accommodate whatever money is coming back? You know, I, 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 I've heard that they like Jordan Greenway. Um, that makes one. He's got 11 points in 34 games. It's he's purely for physical presence. He's not a center. Yeah. Uh, he's on a $3 million ticket through next year. And then there's Kevin Hayes in Seattle, who's a, another big dude. Um, he's 20 points in 40 games. So he's a half point per game player. And he's on a $3.5 million ticket for this year and two more. Maybe St. Louis retains 50%. That makes him a, a more attractive player at, what, one seven, one eight per year going forward. He's 31. But if you're taking on Hayes or you're taking on Greenway, of course, you are understanding that you are likely to have them for next year as well and whether or not you think they're going to provide value and utility at the money By the way, that they're being paid. Henrique, we've had the discussion about Adam Henrique as yeah. well. Another rental, $5.8 million. Even if Anaheim retains 50%, you're probably going to have to do something to accommodate his salary. Canucks Army's got a uh, 
a value uh, picks uh, ranking, if you will, for yeah. guys way down the, the queue that you know have underlying stats that maybe fit uh, Rick Tockett's system. So you can go check it out there for some real deep dives. But uh, all of it, and, and uh, that list, and the list that Matt just went over there too, fo- folks, you you may be a little bit out of practice. You either pay sun, moon, and stars for a very complete player in the prime of their careers, but we mean sun, moon, stars. One of your favorite players, one of your best draft picks, and probably one of your best prospects out the door. So if you're getting upset about a late first rounder, my goodness, mm. you won't like the sun, moon, and stars price. Or you give up something like the first round pick on its own for a flawed player on perhaps a flawed salary or an aging guy that has mm. some injury risk. That's what the trade deadline yep. gives you. Unless you're doing a full-on hockey trade, which again means you're probably saying goodbye to one of your favorite roster players and one of your favorite prospects as well. This is a messy art at the trade yes. deadline, folks. You're not going to get a trade where, unlikely anyway, where you get a trade where like, we gave up nothing, we got a ton. Like yeah. that doesn't happen. It's not no. going to happen. If you're looking to improve the bottom six, we saw with Max Lapierre, Chris Higgins, you can do that reasonably affordably. If you're looking for a top six player, we saw this with Derek Roy, remember? It's probably going to cost you more than you are hoping to spend. And, of course, last year we saw it inversely. Bo Horvat to the Islanders for Beauvillier, Ratu, and a first-round pick, which, frankly, for the Islanders, wasn't the worst value, particularly since you resigned yeah. the player, albeit on a... Very rich. Callum extension. is wondering why nobody's considering Boone Jenner. Um, yep, uh, that's an interesting name. Yeah, there's, uh, and, and I've heard it out there as well. It's a player with term. So, um, and decent goal scoring this year, but again, yep. he, he only 18 points. So he's 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 we got five assists on right. the year. Modified no trade, 18 no trade list. So uh, so long as you're not on that, but 3.75 for Jenner. Uh, now a lot of miles there. Plays a, a heavier game and uh, will be 31 at the end of this season. So if you think that he provides value over the next couple of years, and uh, so be it. That's, Hasn't played uh, 82 games since 2016-2017. Right, but, but He's been dinged. A, so. a, a player with term who, I mean, like Columbus at some point wants to be better. So the acquisition cost on Jenner, given that he's on a pretty decent salary with not so much term left that it's daunting, um, being paid to age 33, which is appropriate, um, could well cost you. Mm -hmm. A fair bit uh, as well. Lotto line. Rick Tockett talking Tuesday about how it struggled for three or four games and he might break them up. And there's apparently a meeting in advance of Wednesday's game against the St. Louis Blues to hash things out. I know Rinkwide at Rinkwide Van is asking a poll question that's running 50-50 at my last check. Is it time to break up Lotto line? It's funny, um, however long ago it was that talk it, put them back together. We asked to Paul, is this the best way to go? Most people said yes, although a lot of people who said no said, look, might be the best way to win a game. Is it the best way to win multiple rounds in the Stanley Cup playoffs when so many of your eggs are going to be in that basket scoring-wise and which allows the opposing coach, particularly on home ice, to line and defense pair match against your big guns? Uh, where are you now on lotto line? Well, given the fact that the red hot start that they had when they were uh, reassembled out on the road, 
has now significantly cooled, and the fact they're coming off of maybe their worst performance against the Blackhawks, where you might have thought they'd feast. Um, yeah, I'm 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 game for a reset here. Again, it's always there. It's always up your sleeve. You don't have to sign contract for this never to be assembled again. Like it's always there for him. But in the meantime, as you are always in this eternal search for chemistry as a head coach, yeah, sure. Let's let's see what it looks like split up and 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 you know, given that you've got. I was going to say Tarasenko, Kuzmenko, coming off of uh, a two-point performance in which he looked a little bit more engaged. Do you try that line again? Mm-hmm. Do you go back to Pedersen with the Russians and see if you can create chemistry once more? I, I think it's a probably a worthwhile endeavor for, for Rick Tockett. Mind your Enkos. Yeah, mind my Enkos, yes. Does that include Demko or is that an Emko? Yeah. <laughs> um, Shiny helmets, and I'm told we're supposed to call metallic. them metallic, not yeah. chrome. See, I did. I disagree with this. I, I I know people get angry that I'm even quibbling. Metallic. You think back to like '80s sports cars when they were metallic. Yeah, they weren't shiny. They had sparklers in them. Like it was, it was like a like a bowling ball. You know, bowling balls always had the flex. Like it was like that. I don't think that's what that that helmet is. That's a chrome blue helmet. But Never, we're not supposed to call it. Nevertheless, car. metallic, shiny blue helmets debuted at practice. Um, the talk afterwards, oh, just breaking them in, no plans to wear them. But, of course, they had posted that social media video saying coming in January. So shiny blue against the blues. Uh, JT Miller was asked about them after practice and said uh, we wear what we're told to wear. Yeah, so he was a little nonplussed. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure they're winners with the players. Will they be winners with Canucks fans? Uh, we shall. Again, of of the three Chrome Domes, I, I like this one the best versus oh, Vegas absolutely. and LA. No, yeah, uh, those are those are too much. Now, a, a serious story, and we have been waiting for this shoe to drop for some time. But the story broke in the Globe and Mail. Wednesday morning that five players from the 2018 World Junior Championship Canadian team have been asked to surrender to London police in their investigation of a sexual assault. Five different players on that team have taken leave from their current club teams. It includes Cal Foote, defenseman with the New Jersey Devils and son of Vancouver Canucks assistant coach Adam Foote, his teammate Michael McLeod. Both of those players missed a Devils team event last night. Carter Hart, the goaltender of the Philadelphia Flyers. Calgary Flames forward Dylan Dubé, who took leave from the team a couple of days ago for what the team said was mental health in its press release. And then Alex Formanton, a one-time draft pick of the Ottawa Senators, who has played in the league and who is currently playing for a Swiss club. Uh, It's taken a long time to get here. Blake, but over the last few years, because some of these guys' names have come up in terms of trade targets, like we talked about McLeod at one point as a trade target for the Vancouver Canucks Mm -hmm. and his ability to play the mill. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, the Canucks were asked about the Foot brothers, because Cal's got a brother in the National Hockey League, uh, Adam's other son, and the Canucks said at one point, well, it's kind of a strange dynamic to bring in the son of an assistant coach. And that's 
that's absolutely true, right? It puts the young man in a tough spot. It puts the assistant coach in a tough spot. And another player that we thought was going to be a part of this process, Maxime Comtois, people also bandied that player about mm-hmm. as a player possibly on the move although to be clear he has He's not taken not, leave no. from his club and if you're doing the straight math and saying these are the five players who london police want to talk to further then it would appear that maxime comtois is not amongst that group now we're going to get into another league story here in a second but you and i were both talking before we started up the show this is a test for the national hockey league its member clubs and the head office Right. You've told us that hockey culture has got to change Mm -hmm. in this regard. You've told us that after the Chicago Blackhawks scandal and, of course, the victimization of Kyle Beach. We'll see where this goes. But needless to say, this is a various, very serious matter that is going to have a lot of people looking long and hard at the National Hockey League and how it goes about addressing these matters. Well, and the league not looking good, too. The, the Six years ago, I believe, and Travis Yost had something on this um, on Twitter, uh, they released something, what they call the core principles, something to that effect, um, league sort of mission statement, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, it's no longer available on the website. It was there. It's gone. So so core that it lasted all of six years and it's not yeah. even available on the website. And those might have been idle words anyway, but they they can't. This league can't seem to get out of its own way uh, with regards to mm-hmm. even towing the right company line. Well, for years, the strategy and the tactics of Gary Bettman and the league have been provide no transparency and it'll blow over people's attention span. Yeah. Spans will wane. Um, needless to say, if charges are coming here, then it's certainly not blowing over anytime soon. And so nope. this will be a matter that the National Hockey League will have to deal with and deal with in a most public way. Because as anybody who has done any kind of news reporting or court reporting will tell you, and Blake, I know you've been there as well, public documents are generated Public documents tend to have a lot of unseem, uns, unseemly details in them. And then, of course, if you're talking about trials, it's even more pronounced. Yes. Now, many are saying that, and again, this is the National Hockey League and how it deals with scandals, was a diversionary tactic created this morning, Blake, when lo and behold, all of a sudden. Just coincidentally. The owners of the Utah Jazz of Real Salt Lake. The sports empire there in Salt Lake City have a public release, a press release, asking for the National Hockey League to initiate an expansion process. These used to be state secrets, Blake, in terms of which markets. Do we have precedent for this? Do you remember anything like this ever? Well, I, I mean, certainly during the old expansion rounds, going back to San Jose, Tampa, Ottawa, Florida. The, the NHL called for expansion interest. Right. Teams bid. They right. announced that they That's were going to be bidding. But this one, I don't want to say it comes totally out of left field because for the better part of a year now, people have been hinting about the National Hockey League having an expansion appetite. There is also an Arizona Coyotes element to this that we're going to get into for a moment. But it does absolutely serve the purpose of creating another big topic in the National Hockey League, 
on a day where London police are asking five players to come surrender on sexual assault charges. Uh, if it is, wow. Um, and if it is, why? Because this didn't happen on the NHL's watch. It's the same sport. Those players, uh, those five players, are now part of your membership, if you will. More the NHLPA membership, but you know what I mean. But it's five of what? 800 active players in the league. It's not like it's uh, it's the broadest of brush on your group as as a whole. It just seems like pretty rash stuff if this was counter-programming, if you will, to the news cycle uh, to go to this extent. And it's funny, all of a sudden, the tall poppy saying, I want a team is, I mean, honestly, the NHL website is carrying this story. The last time we saw something like this, Jim Balsillie was trying to bring a team to uh, Hamilton, and the NHL couldn't stiff arm Jim Balsillie. And I'm not asking for sympathy for Jim Balsillie's tactics here, but they did not like Jim Balsillie being so public, so overt in his plans. And all of a sudden, they're posting this story and commenting on it on their website. Yeah, I do remember Seattle and Vegas very much being. Um, identified as expansion markets. But that was at the, uh, do, at the start of the NHL. I remember the uh, commissioner uh, being cautious but cryptic and effectively leading horses to water on Seattle and Vegas. Um, of course, Salt Lake City would make a 33rd team if you're expanding. Messy. Which, Messy. Look, uh, we went a few seasons there with Vegas as a 31st team. Some of us are old enough to remember a 21-team league. You remember that, Blake, before the The big 31st waves. team was okay because Public it was a stepping stone to 32. Right. What's 33? We're well, going to go to but, 34, you know, really? We know how greedy this board is, uh, the greedy 32 and Gary. This is money that isn't shared with players. So could I see just a straight expansion to Salt Lake City? I suppose. But no. now here comes the Coyotes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they're playing in this itty-bitty mullet arena, which they don't own, which is not NHL appropriate. And there is supposed to be some sort of word on the fate of the Coyotes by the All-Star game, which is a week and a half away. Yeah. This from Marty Walsh, the executive director of the National Hockey League Players Association. They were talking about, oh, we're going to find a new place pretty quickly. The year has gone by. They haven't found anything, at least to my knowledge. So the clock is ticking on Arizona, in my opinion. And it's good to see an NHLPA executive director stand up and say this. Yeah. Because due to the NHL's revenue sharing plan, the Arizona Coyotes and the revenues they're not able to generate is a drain on the league at whole, and it is certainly a drain on the player compensation, which you may have noticed has stayed reasonably flat in comparison to their compatriots in other sports, we're now beyond far enough beyond COVID that you should have had a recovery or close to a full recovery. So now there's pressure being exerted from the players and from their union. Um, I think for the most part, NHL players don't love to wade into controversy and be voices out there criticizing another organization or a member club. But we have heard anecdotally that, look, what's going on right now in Phoenix is not worthy 
of the National Hockey and, and I don't yeah. mean the team for once because the team is actually, once again, punching above its weight class, getting fantastic goaltending, and is in the thick of it for a wild card in the Western Conference. But showing up to this itty-bitty arena and all the um, amenities that aren't there for professional athletes in the best hockey league in well, the world. It's like you're working with the revenue of 31 teams because if you take the attendance in Winnipeg and the attendance in Arizona and add them up, that's effectively one sold-out Bell Center. So you've effectively got really the venues of 31 teams operating to create the HRR that the NHLPA wants to see elevated to increase the size of the pie. So, you know, 32 teams, they want 32 venues. And effectively, they've got 31 venues going right now. It's one thing. Honestly, Winnipeg is tough enough to swallow at 15,000 seats. Well, Very especially small. in Canadian dollars, and yes. especially when they're doing 10 and 11 as they were. Right, at the start of the season. At the start of this season before it became apparent yeah. they have one of the best teams in the league. Now, let's play along for a moment. You and I have both been very skeptical of Houston in the past and of a third go-around in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Which is getting so much I, publicity. I, I just don't think those communities, like Phoenix, want ice hockey. Yeah, Houston's got the arena. They have a potential owner there who owns the Rockets, who has in the past expressed interest. Um. The report on Atlanta was they were going to play in like a suburban rink, build a, which is interesting. According um, according to people that know the city of Atlanta, the, you know this would be the right place. Okay, but fair enough. It's a cha- uh, traffic choked city. Yeah. Uh, in fact, has some similarities to Phoenix in that regard, and that it takes a long time to get, get around. Get to be, yeah, yeah, in that community. But we have both wondered in the past. You know, Salt Lake City. First of all. Of all the cities I've been to in North America, Salt Lake City looks the most like Vancouver. You're sort of framed by the mountains. Ocean's a bit of a There's no ocean, but (laughs) there's a lake. Pretty much everywhere you look out, you you can see the white-capped mountains. As the release talked about from the uh, Smith family, there is a history of hockey in Salt Lake City. It's a winter place, Mm -hmm. right? Of course, it hosted an Olympic winter games and a sensational gold medal game least if you're Canadian. And uh, it's a Western market, too, which, of course, might be helpful for divisional alignment, particularly if this is a relocation, not an expansion. Yeah, you can't go east. Put it this way. If I'm asked to rank cities I want to see in the National Hockey League, and, of course, this is also a market that doesn't have Major League Baseball and doesn't have the National Football League. Now, the Utah Jazz have a massive foothold, and, in that community, and you've got uh, a couple of universities there, um, University of Utah, which is right in town, and BYU, which is not far away, that have uh, uh, fair followings in both football and in basketball. Um, but if you're asking me to rank the cities that I want to see the Coyotes relocate to or the NHL expand to, well, the top of my list would be Quebec City because I'd love to see another team back in Canada. But barring that and both Videotron, the uh, owner of the arena in Quebec City, and the National Hockey League have basically thrown cold water on the notion of a team coming there anytime soon. If that's the case, then, yeah, let it be Salt Lake City. I, I mean, some of the smaller markets in the States have done very well because, as you talk about, they they become the apple of that community's eye. San Jose Sharks are a, a great example of that. 
uh, need the affluence. And I think Salt Lake does actually have a pretty uh, affluent community yep. as well. Uh, I think Portland would fit the bill too. Might kill the Winter Hawks to some degree, yes, but um, there might be enough appetite there in Portland to to make it work. I as just well. never hear about Portland's in these discussions. Nope. No, no. There's no and smoke And for there. years, um, and I would check in with people in Portland uh, when Paul Allen was alive and, and just kept being told time after time, no, yeah. there's just not a lot of interest from Mr. Allen on hockey. And we say that because, of course, uh, he owned the Trailblazers and his uh, sister and, and uh, family trust now own the team in the uh, arena there. So, no, um, I put it this way. Uh, I think Salt Lake City would have a fighting chance of being a very good market in the vein of San Jose, which for years filled the rink and created a foothold in a very busy um, sports uh, sports community there in the California Bay Area. So Now to wrap all this up, it's very possible this is a legitimate story in and of itself. Oh, no, it is. It is a legitimate story but in and of itself. It, 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 the suspicion is, mm-hmm. did you need it to come out today in this <laughs> moment in order to cover the ass of five-year players. And uh, to me, my opinion, and it's only opinion, is that, yes, that's exactly what's happening here. Um, but they, I don't think they fabricated the story, per se. I, I think it's very possible no, that we're it's talking. very – and, you know, the other thing we should say about Salt Lake City is – and, look, this is changing to some degree. We saw the Raptors win an NBA championship. We saw the Denver Nuggets and Milwaukee Bucks win NBA championships – but it is becoming very difficult to win an NBA title from a B or a C market unless you have a superstar who is willing to be there. That you've drafted. Giannis is willing to be in Milwaukee. Yeah. Jokic turned into a superstar with the Denver Nuggets. The Raptors were able to trade for Kawhi Leonard on a short-term basis to forge a championship team. I think we are a long, long way from NBA superstars wanting to play for the Utah Jazz. You're right. Um, now, to each their own. Could have a superstar who comes along who says, no, that's exactly my vibe. Carl Malone was certainly that. John Stockton was certainly that back in the day. But if you're looking at a world where the Utah Jazz are always going to be a plucky underdog or have to forge a team of component parts without getting that transcendent NBA superstar. And Blake, I know you know this from covering the Grizzlies. You know, when one of those guys is on your team or comes to town, in, in the case of the Grizzlies, like the city sort of stops, right? Like that is the big show and everything else is the appetizer but man, or how, the dessert. How far away are we from that in the National Hockey League? Like, I know Johnny Goudreau went to Columbus. Mm-hmm. He might be the last guy that chooses to go to Columbus. Uh, I I don't know that I've got a lot of NHL guys I can think of that are being mm-hmm. like, yeah, Salt Lake's my vibe. Mm-hmm. I, I, it, it'll be tough. Uh, Casey DeSmith looks like he will be your starter for the Vancouver Canucks Wednesday against the Blues, the penultimate game before the All-Star break. They played the Columbus Blue Jackets on Saturday. They are looking to sweep this five-game homestand. They have won three in a row going into it against the Coyotes, against the Leafs, and and against the Chicago Blackhawks. This from our Jeff Patterson who asked Rick Tockett at Rogers Arena Wednesday morning whether Cal Foote taking leave from the Devils would have any impact on Adam's role with the Canucks. Tockett said Adam is standing tall, can't say anything more than that. Adam is fine. Hmm. He's 
good. So we'll Sounds like he'll where, be on the bench. Yeah. yeah, we'll see where that story goes from here. Um, and, of course, we will see if these Vancouver Canucks can keep the winning going. Best team in the National Hockey League on January 24th. A full calendar year from Rick Tockett's first game on the Vancouver. And remember, Blake, this came amid oh the absolute gosh. calamity of the Bruce Boudreaux firing, where everybody in the hockey world knew that Bruce was dead man walking to the point where he gets serenaded with a Bruce there it is in his final game, a loss to the Edmonton Oilers, and stands on the bench for an extra few moments, <laughs> taking it all in, probably knowing, or at least hoping not, but giving it a a significant chance that that was going to be his last game yeah. as a head coach on an NHL bench and getting emotional. Um, you know, And then the Canucks pushing back on that. Jim Rutherford in particular, as opposed to just taking the L and saying, look, uh, we didn't handle that appropriately. At that point, Blake, I thought this team was years, if not decades away from getting back into any conversation about being a contending franchise. And, and if you remember, the there was not a great coach's new coach bump for for Rick Tockett. He was 2-1 and one the first week that he uh, that he was at the helm. They were better, but then they lost 3 of 4 the second week, and then they lost 2 of 3 the third week, and they lost 2 of 3 the fourth week. Well, there so, was, it was so dispiriting. Yeah. Like, you could tell that everybody around the Canucks just wanted last year to be over. But more my point is, Rick Tockett, Rick Tockett takes over, and three weeks in, four weeks in, you still probably couldn't predict what's happened this season. Like, you still wouldn't have predicted, oh, my goodness, they're going to run roughshod, as opposed to the, you know, the comparison of Bruce Boudreaux taking over when he did and going on such a run, there was all sorts of optimistic predictions about what the next year would happen, and, of course, it didn't. For those of you uh, listening on podcasts, a reminder, we are live on YouTube every every morning starting at 11.30. Now, the entirety of the show is not on YouTube. It will be this first block daily and our first interview, the rest of the show on podcasts. So coming up, we have Frank Corrado, former Vancouver Canuck and TSN hockey analyst. Some comeuppance coming. We have a special guest who crashes this interview. We'll Mm. get to some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter on the podcast side, as well as Uffe Bodine, who is a Swedish hockey reporter, takes us through what he knows and what he thinks going forward with Elias Pettersson, with Nils Hoaglander, with Elias Lindholm, Jonathan Lekromacki, not to mention Patrick Alvin, the first Swedish general manager in the National Hockey League. Joined now, as we are every Wednesday, by former Vancouver Canuck and TSN hockey analyst, the one and only Mr. Frank Corrado. How are we doing, Frankie? Frankie? Good, good. There's there's a lot going on. I got Blake Price coming at me on Twitter. I'm yeah. sure we're going to get to that. I brought a good defense today. I had to change my Twitter profile picture. There's just there's mm-hmm. a lot happening in my world right now, and a lot yeah. of it is centered around Vancouver. Well, uh, for those who missed it, Leafs Canucks on Saturday, and... Uh, you were challenged. There was a bet with Wyatt Arndt, the stanchion of Canucks yeah. Army. He called me out. It was unprovoked. He called me out. I was happy to oblige. And 
I played for both teams, okay? So it's not a punishment for me to have to put a Vancouver Canucks picture as my Twitter profile. Right. I'm yeah. just I'm in the Toronto market. Like I, I I'm here in Toronto. I talk Leafs every single day. I love talking Canucks with you guys, but I just I had the Toronto picture. So I'm just, you know, that's the market I'm in. So now instead of just putting like me coming out as the third star with my stick in the air, that would have been really cool. I said, let's actually make it a real punishment. I got dummied by Rafi Torres in the playoffs and it's a great picture. It doesn't look good for me, but I said, if, if the Leafs lose, I will make that my profile picture for one week. So that's where we're at. I took a few hits like that throughout my career, but that one is uh, it's picturesque. Let's say. Well, you're a very good sport, and uh, I must say, I, I saw the video clip of Rafi dummying you, and uh, wow, that was uh, that was a hellacious hit, Frankie. I hit the wall. So, you know what? Like, I was coming out of junior that year, and I had probably seen that play happen a million times that year, and I would go hit the guy, no problem. I actually thought I was catching him off guard. <laughs> sure enough, it's the NHL, and this guy's like as tough and as strong as they come. And he sees me coming. And when you watch the, the slow-mo replay, Ray Ferraro's doing the color uh, commentary on it. And you can see Rafi just like, see, I'm coming. And he leans into me <laughs> and he didn't even budge. Like he didn't budge an inch. Oh my gosh. And there are a uh, few hitters in the history of the national hockey league who hit like Rafi towards. I was pleased to see it was clean though. Yes. Yeah, it was clean. So he, he got me with the clean one. It was all good. I got right back up and, and went to try and like win the puck battle. And I was getting some flack for like some of the cross checks. Like they were like one out of 10 cross checks really light. I don't know why I wouldn't just cross check him a little bit harder, but that's where we're at. That's that's what happened. And I got to relive it now on Twitter every time I go on. No chance for revenge on Torres, but you could get revenge on Wyatt. I mean, uh, you, I would you can... like to. Like yeah. the thing is, like the the is, it, is that Brady? We're in the middle of an interview, man. Like, what's with this music? That's the Stanchions music. <laughs> My God, it's the Stanchion, gentlemen. Uh, I'm listening to the show. And Mr. Corrado over there is, you know, everything's fine. I'm, I'm looking over here, and I, obviously he's a, a very good at what he does. But he said one thing I, I took a bit of umbrage with, uh, saying unprovoked. Now, I have to say that Mr. Corrado came up through the Vancouver organization, the Wolves, the Canucks, gets his first angel goal in Vancouver. We supported him. Healthy scratch. People were cheering his name on. Became a fan favorite. And Mr. Toronto makes his avatar picture of a Leafs jersey? Uh, Unprovoked? Are you wow. kidding me? <laughs> so I'm sorry. I did everyone a favor. I did. I stood up for Vancouver. And what was the score of that Leafs game again, Frank? What was that score again? Was it was it 6-4? Was it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, where, was, where, where were these Austin Matthews goals I was supposed to, to cover in that game? I don't know if I saw them. <laughs> he, um, so he, waste, he wasted them in Calgary, I guess. I guess. Yeah, he was on the wrong team, on the easy team, I guess. He took the easy <laughs> way out. So, yeah, I just want to say unprovoked. I don't think so, sir. I think, uh, but yeah, all in all, uh, great sport from Frankie. It was a lot of fun. I was worried when it was 3-3 and they came back. I was I was a little bit worried. You gave me a little wink from the, the Nylander wink. I, I gave you, scared. listen, I gave you the Nylander wink. I, and you know what's funny? As soon as I saw that comeback happen... I knew there was a Nylander wink available in the GIF world. Oh. And at 3-2, I got three. I didn't want to send it at 3-2. But at 3-3, I knew this was out there in the in the ether. 
and I said I'm going to send it at 3-3. But the Leafs could, like, listen, Vancouver played a, a better game anyways. They deserve to win. But, listen, we'll, we'll try and fire something up because I think it would cause you so much pain to have to sift through, like, the best of Austin Matthews' goals and not just watch them, but then go through the effort of picking your top five, clipping them, putting them together. Like, I can't imagine what that would do to you. Uh, I did. Well, I was actually sitting there going, if I have to do this, like, I think I have to reach out to Steve Dangle. I got to do a coordinate. I got to like, get his help on this. I don't know any of this Matthew stuff. Because I've had to go through every single goal. Like, I just, I, I don't know. I, I didn't want that. So. Leafs Canucks Stanley well, because, Cup. Oh, can you imagine? No, then oh. we need that now. Oh. Because here's oh. the thing, Frank. Wyatt is still asleep at 4 p.m. when Leafs games start. All right? It's true. Yeah. I, I barely know who Austin Matthews is. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe having brother. breakfast. Yeah. And you know what's funny? Wyatt's probably, he's on Twitter saying, like, oh, all you East Coast people, you're sleeping when the Canucks are 100%. playing. That's what had 14 Red Bulls the night before. It's so much easier to take shots of people when you guys are asleep. But yeah, it goes the other way just as easily. (laughs) All right. So sadly, we're done with Leafs Canucks this year, unless, as Blake says, Stanley Cup final. So if that's the case, but certainly for next year, we will organize a watch party. Okay. Stanchion, Frankie, the two of us will have some fun. I love it. And you know what? Maybe we'll bring in a couple of our our favorites. We'll welcome them in along the way maybe eddie lack makes an appearance oh like, well, there you go you know and like, you would we'll love to watch in, me suffer i know that wyatt frankie and friends along mm-hmm. the way i like yeah. that i like that a lot some guys who played for both friends we'll get mason raymond involved here we'll yeah. get a bunch of the guys who cross over santorelli's available okay oh. well hey you're gonna have to deliver sundine okay carotta <laughs> my childhood hero you know what my childhood hero and it breaks my heart during the centennial classic he wasn't available to be there I met every Leafs legend except for Matt's, and I still oh. haven't met him. So that's uh, maybe one day. Anybody know have uh, Felix Potvin's number? Yeah, there's another one. Yeah. Potvin be a great long one. List, long Tiger list. Williams, Russ of Cardinal. course. Yeah. Vive. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a long, yeah. long list. Yeah. Plenty of options. Mike, good seeing you, buddy. Thanks, Thanks for this. Yeah, have a great show, you can boys. crash any one of our interviews at any time, but no, we're happy Frankie, now. Frankie's in my targets now. That's it. He's in my oh, new Eddie okay. Lack. <laughs> in the scope. See you, buddy. Yeah. See you guys later. Beware the folding chair under the apron, Frank. Oh, uh, man. You got okay, it. one issue out of the way. Yeah. Second issue ahem, on the docket. Uh-oh. There we go. I didn't realize we were interrogating Frank Corrado yeah, today. Yeah, oh, I, I warned him. Uh, the TSN power rankings come out, <clears throat> and the Oilers have won, like, every game this season or something to that effect. They're number one in the power rankings when, in fact, they've got more losses in the last 20 games than the Vancouver Canucks do. So even if you throw out their terrible start, they've still lost more than the Canucks. And yet yeah. you're just so blinded by this win streak, Frank, that you agree with their number one spot. Okay. Let's start here. First of all, the the, the language of the question is important. <laughs> right now was how the, the, the question was yeah. worded. So who's the best team right now as of today? I chose the Edmonton Oilers. Now, that question gets presented to me earlier in the day. That's not like I'm, on, I'm not just on camera and they're like, oh, I got to answer it. Yeah. So I had a little time to dig in. Hashtag crunch the numbers. So as you know, like I like analytics because it tells me the story of what has happened so far. It's not a projection as far as what's going to happen into the future. Right. So now I feel like it's valid to get into the analytics as far as what is happening beneath the surface that's leading to the results on the ice. 
I go to Sport Logic. We have a great setup with Sport Logic here at TSN. They give us these breakdowns of all like these key areas of the game, offensively, defensively, goaltending, special teams. Like we really get a deep dive into these things. The five on five categories, there's 13 offensively, the same 13 defensively. The Edmonton Oilers right now are in the top 10 in the NHL in 23 of those categories. So it's not like, like, it's really impressive when you take a look at the, the page. It's like, you know, first, second, fifth, like all these key categories. So then I go, okay, let's compare this to the Canucks who are playing really, really well. Canucks were about half. So there was a lot of categories like key ones where, you know, high danger scoring chances. We had talked about this where the inner slot shots were high, but the, the high danger scoring chances were still not like they're still in the bottom third of the league. Like I'm seeing 23 rank and, you know, they're actually, believe it or not, when it comes to those things, the Canucks are better defensively than they are, they are offensively. No kidding. Mm. They are. And it's the so structure, that, the talking structure, right? Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. when I'm when I'm doing this, I'm saying, okay, right now I'm seeing a team that's not doing it by accident with Edmonton. Like they're like you can see it's all there beneath the surface. The Canucks are not doing it by accident either. But if you're asking me like who's better right now, I'll say Edmonton. The one caveat to that is Stuart Skinner has been playing really well recently. If that doesn't continue, I don't think it matters what they do at five on five. I don't think it matters like high danger slot shots. I don't think any of that matters if they get the goaltending that they got at the beginning of the season. And so if you're making a projection, like if you're saying, who, who, who do you not want to play against between Edmonton and, and Vancouver, you can build compelling arguments both ways. But I have a hard time with that goaltender matchup saying, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't want to run into Edmonton more than I would want to run into Vancouver because Demko has been the best goalie in the league or right there with Hellebuck and Skinner. If he doesn't play the way he's played over this last little stretch, Edmonton's a completely different team. And it really comes down to one piece for me. How do we make sure that's the second round matchup? Cause wouldn't that be fun for both markets first, and for uh, the league? first uh, in the wide aren't uh, vain. I have a follow-up. Why do you hate the Canucks? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know what? I don't, I don't hate the Canucks. I, I think the NHL is a much better place when the Canucks are a good team. Yes. Like when, when the Canucks are, are not a good team and I hate to say this, it's almost like people forget like you're way out there on the West coast. It's late games and people forget about it. But now with the star power, with the team playing uh, the, as well as they are, the narratives involved, it's better. The NHL is a better place with the Canucks. I love my time there. Like, go actually, go into the game. When I was in town for the Canucks Autism Network uh, charity tournament, I went to the game. I was so impressed by so many different things, like the, the in-game operations, um, like the, the crowd. It was, it was great. Like, I, I, well, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, very good of you to answer the question seriously, because it was certainly not posed <laughs> seriously. It's all good. Second, it's all secondly, good. Frankie, uh, speaking as people who are in the Pacific time zone, We'd like to forget about most of the last decade ourselves. Yes, yes. Um, but, it, and it's funny it though. Was like, look, really, with, I have to watch this game with things like those power rankings. Though it's funny. Like even if where were the Canucks uh, on this latest edition? Third, maybe on the TSN power rankings. Well, I, they take offense to that. They're like they're third. They're being ranked third in I the know. league, and people are taking offense to that. Well, here's another thing on those power rankings. So actually, um, this was another thing I forgot to mention. 
the Oilers are still underscoring what their underlyings are. No so kidding. meaning like they're, they're still going to potentially score more based on what they're generating. And as you know, I don't need to tell you guys, yep. the Canucks are outscoring it by a lot. Yep. And, you know, I, I'm not going to be doom and gloom and say that at some point that's going to stop, but the potential for more scoring is there for the Oilers. And I don't, I, I think the Canucks have kind of hit what they are offensively. First, um, before I ask the next question, we have had so many guests over the years and particularly those who were players or coaches, more players talk about, Oh my God, I don't know how you guys exist in that Canucks Twitter space. Like, Oh, it's so toxic. And so this and that Frankie Corrado has been the one consistent guest we've had over the years who said, I love Canucks Twitter. It's undefeated. I love it's watching great. it. I love engaging with it. So we thank you for that, yeah, buddy. Good sport. Uh, good sport. You've been an awesome sport. I got some heat last week by saying I think the Canucks are free and clear of the Oilers. They're 13 points up on Edmonton. Edmonton does have four games in hand. One head-to-head left with them. Of course, the Canucks see a lot of Vegas and L.A. late in the schedule. Do you see a pathway for the Oilers to finish ahead of the Canucks at this stage? Um, slight chance. Like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be betting on it. Like I think, I think Vancouver has built up enough of a lead. Not to mention that I don't expect the Canucks to go on like a what the LA Kings have done, where they can't win a game anymore. Like I don't see that coming for the Canucks. I just think they're they're a too well built. They play too well as a team now. They're too well structured. Their goalie is too good. Like LA, LA is an example. They they don't spend any money on the goaltending position, right? Like both their goalies combined make a cap hit of like. Is it three, three and a half million dollars? Like it's nothing. It's nothing right. they spend on their goaltending. So sometimes, sometimes you get what you you pay for. So you're you're gonna have Demko and DeSmith has been really good this year. So that's like that's certainly a factor in not letting things get off the rails here. But they're just like the the Canucks are, and and as the season has gone on, we talked about this last week or the week before. As much as the regression is coming, there are areas of the game where they've improved on as this time has gone on. So that's going to slow down some of the regression with the team. So that's another thing they have going for them. Um, And and as much as Edmonton has played well, they're not going to win every single game. Like they're going to lose games. So um, as time goes on here, eventually the clock just runs out and you're not able to catch the Canucks. I don't, I don't see it happening. Like it it could be the strangest thing ever and, and it would, but I would be really surprised if the Oilers were able to catch the Canucks at this point. Frank, uh, one year ago, Rick Tockett coached his first game with the Vancouver Canucks. As we know, this is his third head coaching stint, and he'd spent some time as an assistant, uh, particularly in Pittsburgh, where where you had him. Max Domi came in here on Saturday and said he's one of the best coaches in the world. He forges relationships with his players, unlike any other guy. Um, he's the Jack Adams favorite. Tell us a little bit about the rec talk that you know, and perhaps if you've seen any changes from afar uh, now that he's gotten another head coaching stint. So my time, like my time with him was, was a little limited because I wasn't on the roster that much, but like, so the first game I played with the, uh, with the penguins, he was responsible for doing like the, the meeting, the systems meeting with me. So he sat me down, we went through everything together. Everything was crystal clear. And he, like, he kind of kept saying like, you've done this before, you know, this stuff, right? Like he really made it seem like this isn't some brain surgery kind of stuff we're doing. Like you've done it a million times, so you should feel comfortable. But 
and I doubt he would even remember this, but I remember it. The first game we played in, in Buffalo, I don't know what was wrong with me. I was, wasn't at a great like place in, in the season for me. Like I hadn't played a lot. It was, it had been like a year and a half of not playing and um, obviously nerves are involved. I just like, I kept falling. Like I was either falling or getting hit. And um, you know, I, I went back at someone and got them with a, like a good, you know, a, a good shot. And previous to that, he was kind of just like looking at down the bench, like, come on, man, like a little, little stronger there. Like you gotta, you know, you gotta go at guys a little bit more. Um, and he wasn't even the D coach that like that, that would have been Jacques Martin at the time. So like, I, I think, you know, to, to Max's point there, like he really cares, right? Like if he sees something, he's just going to let you know. And I think he has a really good way of doing it. And I remember I went at someone, got him good. And it was like, I looked to the bench at talk for like that, that little bit of reassurance. And he just gave me like the nod, like, you know, like a good job kind of thing. And I was, you know, I was two games into my time with, with the Penguins at that point, like didn't really, I didn't play after that, but I had been around them. I was around them during the, the playoffs more as a, as a black ace. But um, I just think like that, like that's, I think that's what guys remember about him. And if, if I remember that and I wasn't there for very long with him, there's a lot of other guys who have spent a lot of time with him that have been through numerous, you know, things where they could point to and say like, Hey, talk actually cared. You know, he talked to me about this. So like my, my kind of thing is just, you know, making you feel like you've done it before and you, you, you should have the confidence to go out there and, and do it and just, you know, take, taking an interest in, in trying to help, help the player out. But you could tell, like, I could tell how close him and Kessel were. Um, that was pretty evident. Like they had built a pretty strong connection. He was like the Kessel whisperer. Right. And even someone like Malkin, who, you know, I think they had such a good dynamic there with Mike Sullivan. He can be, he can be so hard on you. Um, but for the right reasons, like he was always that good buffer between Gino yeah. and, and Mike. So it's, he's it, just, listen, a, a lot of guys like him for many reasons. Connor Garland was on John Scott's uh, podcast talking about the system, uh, the X's and O's of Talkit, and keeping shots to the outside. And it, it kind of shed some light on the on the the PDO uh, stuff that people have been talking about all season long. And that you know the Canucks save percentage is always going to be pretty high because they do force a lot of outside shots. Have you seen that with Talkit in terms of insulating? And yeah, do they do they allow the the goaltenders to face a higher number of shots to some degree? Yes, but you know maybe not the the ones that they feel like are going to go in. I think when we talk about areas the Canucks have improved this season as time has gone on, like to maybe help regress that PDO that's the one that stands out the most at the start of the year for me, anyways, they were giving up a lot more of those high danger chances and, and Demko had to be really alert and really sharp early on. Like nothing would be happening. And all of a sudden it's like, bang, bang play. Whew, that's in the slot. Demko had to make a big save as the season has gone on here. And as they've become a little more entrenched into what Tockett wants to do, I find you're seeing that less and less. Um, so that's something that takes some time a new group this year like everyone's really trying to get on the same page now the decor has changed a little bit from you know the start of the season they brought in Zadorov. that that's a big factor um you know Juleson's game has been better so I think like that's the when I say like defensively where they've improved that's the biggest one like we're, we're not getting those surprise it's in the slot kind of moments of the game 
as much as we were early in the season. Not a lot. 201 surrendered and all that sort of stuff too. Not a lot of big breaks. And the save percentage is going to be good because of that, but also because like you're going to have good goaltending. You're going to have Demko and DeSmith. They've been a really, really good tandem this year. Lastly, Frank, for me in your uh, ongoing quest to make us smarter hockey fans, and of course you speak Rick Talk at ease. Uh, Want to read you a quote from Talkit about Kuzmenko coming off Monday's game against the Blackhawks. You do the interpretation for us. He did a good job surfing the guy really fast. I saw a little pep when he surfed over that guy. It was something that we talked about. What's he getting at when he's talking about surfing? Okay, so surfing, surfing is a term that's usually used for defensemen. So if I can paint a picture for you, the Canucks are playing in the offensive zone. And let's say the puck is on Quinn Hughes's side of the ice on the boards. And let's say they're playing the Oilers. The Oilers winger makes a pass to the Oilers centerman. Okay. Now let's say Heronic, the right shot defenseman. He's the one who takes an angle and angles that centerman back towards the boards where that puck had been. That's called a surf. So when the inside player kind of like takes a good angle on you and brings you back towards the boards, so with the forwards, I've always heard this called a soft lock. So you soft lock one side of the ice and try and angle the player into the boards. He's probably using that term as surf, um, as, as a soft lock. So essentially what it would be is Kuzmenko was the high forward in the zone in a good spot defensively. He moved his feet. He took a good angle on the player and probably he pushed the player into a position where they could kill the play and recover the puck and transition it and go back the other way. That's my interpretation. I've heard That's, it as channeling too. Channel yeah. guy over here. Yeah. I, I got to yeah. say um, of the many things I love about talking and particularly as a communicator, but the lexicon that he has brought here, uh, but he's not afraid to explain X's and O's. No, I know. That's the great. thing. There's no proprietary he's got, secrecy He's here. got infinite patience yeah. for explaining the game of hockey to yeah. media and fans alike on top of what he's doing coaching the like, players. When, and to me, that's what makes him a treasure here. When when he was on TNT, they would do those segments where we, he would have the whiteboard and they would get the camera from up above. And he would do a great job of breaking it down in such an elementary way. And like, if you were a hockey player and you watched it, you think, okay, like this is, you know, this is basic stuff, but someone watching at home, they yeah. would really be able to like, and, and he would use the lingo. This is what I liked about when he was doing it. He would use the lingo, like he, you, you just said, but as he's going on, he explains what that means. Right. And I think right. that's so important. Yeah. Super. Um, as do you, sir. Uh, thank you for this. Thank you for participating in our reindeer games today with Wyatt. Love the new avatar. And look forward certainly to the next Canucks Leafs game, but to next Wednesday as well. Thanks, yeah, Frank. now the question is going to be how long do I leave that avatar and what do I make my next avatar? Oh, until the Canucks are eliminated, man. <laughs> until the You're or, riding with that. Or the clincher. Until they're out of until the Until they playoffs. get an X beside their name and they've clinched a playoff so, spot. So I quickly, before I go, I pay for that stupid Twitter blue for the yeah. blue check mark. Um, and so they take the blue check mark away when you t- change your profile picture. Even, the, oh. even if you pay for it? Well, they, they say they have to review your profile. Ah, yeah. So once I get my blue check mark back, I don't think I'm going to be inclined to change the picture again for go. a while. So it might just end up staying there. there Finally, go. a Twitter rule I agree with. <laughs> well done, Frankie. Thank you. See you, See you guys.
So here's some price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood GM Import Hardy has the greatest deals you can imagine on one of their all-timers, the Silverado. Financing from 1.99%. Get into the 2024 edition. The Sierra's got 1.99% as well. Check it all out at Applewood GM at Port Hardy. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today. Should the Canucks trade their first round pick for Sean Monahan? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price. On Twitter and YouTube, hashtags are the best and worst of Twitter. Dot com. Lead us off, Mr. Price. What you got today? Um, let's go to the world of uh, soccer, football, if you will, at CPL Soccer. Could Chicharito make an appearance at Tim Hortons Field? Chivas Guadalajara has announced the signing to Mexican star Javier Hernandez, formerly of LA Galaxy, of course, two weeks before they visit Forge FC, that's the Hamilton CPL team, in Champions Cup action. Uh, this is the fun intersection in cup play when you intersect all these leagues. Yes. I don't think Forge FC fans ever envisioned one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> it's Chicharito mm-hmm. being uh, on their pitch, but uh, but here we are. I'm going to basketball because uh, we owe USA Basketball an apology. You'll remember when we started hearing about the schedules for yes. pre-Olympic games and where the USA was playing and who the USA wasn't playing. They were afraid of us. Right. They were afraid of little brother, right? How can they not play Canada? We're right next door. There's a long tradition. What's the matter? Canada. You and, scurred. Yeah. Long tradition of Canada and USA playing pre-tournament games. Ask Al Chris Manson up at the Whistler Golf Club about the day he shut down Scotty Pippen in Portland. Well, it's on July 10th in Las Vegas. Canada versus the United States in a pre-Olympic tune-up game. USA Basketball has also released its long list of 41 players from which it is going to um, select its team. Uh, I understand that already you've got Durant, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, Devin Booker, LeBron James, who are all committed here. How many of the over 30 crowd do they take? Well, that's the one thing. I was uh, texting with our friend Howard Kelsey, former Canadian national team member, going, hmm, they're going to bring all those old guys at the end of an NBA season. They the can't. Olympics start in July, remember, yeah. right? So, like, some of these guys will have just played up until a month or six weeks prior to the tournament. Maybe you can run them out of the gym. <laughs> who would have ever thought that? Like, who, who are the old guys you take? You take Steph, you take LeBron, uh-huh. well, Durant. Durant. Mm-hmm. I think the list might end there for me of the over. 32 crowd anyway. Yeah. I don't know if I'm going much deeper than that. I mean, all of this is a little tongue-in-cheek. They will be mighty favorites. Yes. No matter whom they select from this 41, no matter how good the Canadian team or any other team is, this is an Olympic medal that they just don't lose outside of a couple of instances. One when they had a team of malcontents, one when they 
clock operator and 72 screwed them against Sabonis and the uh, 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 Soviet team. She was Sabonis on that team, I forget. So, yeah, but look, Canada to win a medal, absolutely. And, of course, we all dream of the Canada-USA gold medal game. And perhaps little David takes a pebble in his slingshot, right? Yeah, I don't think we're David anymore. I think wow. we're, I think we're just we're a, we're a guy that works out a couple days a week. It's about, <laughs> we've we're got still, some muscle mass. We're, <laughs> we're a bigger David, yes. but we're still David. Oh, and incidentally, former Raptors assistant Adrian Griffin fired his head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Like they're thirty and thirteen, mm-hmm. second place in the East, and Doc Rivers is the new head coach, and it sounds like Doc did Griffin dirty. It was politicking for this job in the back chat. Two conspiracy theories here. That one, that Doc Rivers was politicking, saying this team's not you know, needs me, yada, yada. The other one is is that Adrian Griffin tried to cut Giannis's brother. Ah. Can't have that. Giannis couldn't have that. No. Now, they did have some embarrassing losses amidst the 13, but you're still 30 and 13. 30 and 13. Yeah. You're, you're his okay. first go-around as a head coach. But they're one of those teams, you know, getting to the second round is, of course, right. not acceptable. They need to they need to go for a championship, and I guess they didn't think he was the guy. At the ace of Spader, Ryan Spader, covering baseball, Adrian Beltre had a hit of 8.87% of all players to ever throw a single pitch in a Major League Baseball game. Wrap your head around that. All time. Come again? He's had a hit off of almost 9% of all players to ever throw a pitch in Major League Baseball history. It's not hyperbole. It's fact. 11,609 players have ever thrown a single pitch in a game. And 1,030 of them gave up hits to Adrian Beltre. Like, can you wrap your head around that? This game's an old one. I and, and here's the thing: he, uh, I don't think anybody would argue that Adrian Beltre is amongst the greatest ball players they've ever seen. But this guy was a friggin' specimen. Yeah, I saw him hit a home run at uh, T-Mobile now years ago against the Blue Jays on a check swing. And he hit it out to the opposite field. And we went down into the clubhouse and Blue Jays pitchers like basically were pulling the media aside and saying, I have never seen that in my life. Like the guy was just raw muscle. You talk about dad strength, natural power. Yeah. Adrian Beltre. He's he the had poster a, boy. He had it at like 27. He immediately had dad strength. He had it at 24. You know, like he, he did. And, and then he oh, can, he had it at 17. And then I he mean, continued to have it until he was 40. Yeah, played a great third base. And, you know, Mariners fans have some claim here to him. I, I, I know Dodgers fans would uh, say he's one of ours. But, yeah, he, he had a sensational career. Incidentally, at Optostats, Joe Maurer of the Twins is the first player in Major League Baseball, the NBA, NFL, or NHL history to be drafted number one overall by a team from his birth or state province, play 15-plus seasons for the team, and reach the Hall of Fame. A great story there with a St. Paul native. Um, and by all accounts, just a wonderful guy, Joe Maurer, who gets in. Nice to see Todd Helton get in as well, although 
you know, when I think of Todd Helton, and first of all, some may remember, former University of Tennessee quarterback, he kept Peyton Manning on the bench for a minute or two down there. But when I see um, when I see Helton get in, and I think of a candidate like Fred McGriff, I, I do wonder how much the Coors Field effect helped Helton get over sure. the top where guys like McGriff and some others fall short. I, I can't help but think, like, I, I, Todd Helton was a very good player. He was a sensational player. Huge numbers. But I, I, I feel like he was greatly aided by Coors Field. Yes, and uh, we talked about how the M's, uh, and I'm sure they'll have some fans in Cooperstown to uh, cheer on Adrian Beltre next year. Remember last year was the year for the Vancouver Canucks at the Hockey Hall of Fame with Hank, Danny, and Roberto. First time eligible next year, Ichiro and King Felix. I think Ichiro's a lock. Like it's without a doubt. Lock. Absolute lock. And the other thing, uh, taking a look at some of these totals, because um, Beltray and Maurer are first-time guys here. The standard has slid for the Baseball Hall of Fame. I think so. Yeah. There were not players of this stature getting in first ballot with that percentage of the vote and 90-plus. And, uh, yeah. In previous seasons. So it is clear that the baseball hall is becoming a bigger hall now. And so that helps King Felix. Needless to say, a perfect game helps King Felix. I think we're past the years where 300 wins is a thing to get into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame because it's just so hard to get there. Of course, uh, Felix with a Cy Young as well. 169 and 136 is the record. Now, of course, part of that is a function on playing on some really bad Mariners teams over the years. Led the league in ERA twice. Led the league in wins once. Led the league in innings once as well. I'm not sure he's going to be a first ballot guy, but again, the standard has changed here, so I think he's got a fighting chance. I loved... Fred McGriff, and who's at like four hundred and ninety some home runs, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Like he just fell short of the magic five hundred, which effectively was an automatic into the Baseball Hall of Fame, and unless you were a, uh, I'm always a small hall guy, and I always wanted to, you know, when you watched a player, was magic at work at times, and you know, guys like Todd Helton, Fred McGriff, I don't think I saw magic at work at times. Yeah, you know. Great players, yes. fabulous players, but I, I, I'm a small guy. I would have reserved for yes the magic. And to be clear, uh, McGriff is now a uh, baseball Hall of Famer. Yes, got it. Selected. Year. They used to call it the Veterans Committee. Now they call it the Contemporary Baseball Era Committee. Was Roland one of those two last year? Uh, Scott Roland got in last yeah. year. Was the end of that? Though? I don't remember if it was. Because, again, same sort of thing. Scott Rowland, very nice player. Oh, darn good player, and a lot like Beltry, just like a bull, strong, big third baseman. Um, no, I think he was straight Legit, in. Legit, huh? Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he was elected. Wow, that's a little shocking to me. Uh, uh, and inducted last year. 
Oh, it's me. Yeah, it's you. Oh, okay. Uh, speaking of baseball, well, we talked about God, this baseball offseason and free agency is really dragging. We're January 24th here, and you still got some of the best free agents available. At John Heyman, most Major League Baseball teams, 17, have spent under $40 million in free agency, including nine who have spent less than $20 million, and eight mostly bigger teams who have spent between 20 and 40 Now, the Blue Jays are on neither of these lists. The Mariners are on the 20 to $40 million list. Like the Red Sox and Yankees have spent less than $40 million in free agency this year. The Padres, who had turned into a big spender of late, less than 40. The Angels, who have never been afraid to give out the huge deals, less than $40 million, as have the Tigers, White Sox, and, of course, the Pirates. But the, the Pirates are over $20 million, says something. And then the less than $20 million crowd, like some of them you understand, the Marlins, the A's, the Orioles have great young talent coming up, so they probably don't have to. The Rockies are just a basket case. Guardians, Brewers, Twins, Rays, and Nats also having spent less than $20 million. So the purse strings have not been unlocked here. Deep. I mean, we're pitchers and catchers February 15th. We're a little more than three weeks away from guys reporting to spring training, and you still have all these big free agents out there, and more than half the league saying, mm, we're not big in free agency this year. And you'd think then prices are going to start dropping on whatever these players are asking for. You would for. think, like, and as we talked about a few weeks ago, whenever it was, you know, if you're the player and the agent, you wait because you're hoping to get every last dollar. But there does come a point where suddenly it's going to work the other way. I need to work. And that's hashtags for today. Ufe Boudin is the head of sports media at Better Collective, and we were just uh, reminiscing. It has been uh, years and years since we began seeing Ufe at international hockey events around the world, and uh, here we are, uh, teammates in one big sports media empire stretching the Atlantic Ocean. Good to see you, Ufe. How you doing? <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, I remember seeing you in... Well, I must have been in Saskatchewan for the World Juniors back in... Right. 2009. It's a long time ago. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember the previous year in Ottawa when everybody thought Sweden would win that tournament with such a great team. Uh, let's get into uh, more contemporary matters. Uh, first and foremost, Ufe, we've gone across the Atlantic to Sweden to get your take on why Elias Patterson is not re-signing with the Vancouver Canucks yet. Do you have any <laughs> theories, my man? Oh, God. If I... If I had, well, uh, Elias Pettersson, I just have to start with that. Like he's his own man, you know, he, he goes his own way as you well know, and um, God knows what's going on inside his head right now. I, I think everyone would like to know, but it seems like he's, um, it, it seems like he wants to take his time. I guess he wants to sort of uh, get a feeling of where the Canucks are heading. Obviously this season has been uh, beyond uh I guess anyone's wildest dreams. So, I mean, it should be 
good. It should be a good sign. I mean, the, the team is is having a great season and, and looks like in every way they're heading in the right direction. So, uh, but still, he wants to take his time. I guess it's also just for him to bet on himself. I mean, he's coming up a 100 point season and he can actually be the first Swede ever to have to record back to back 100 point seasons. So, I guess that could do uh, pretty good for his uh, market value as well. He was a match made in heaven. We all saw the, the childhood photos of him wearing the Vancouver T-shirt. And, and you know, everyone just thought, okay, this is just perfect. He wants to come here. I mean, hey, it's a big Canadian market. It's it's can be a tough market, although he is absolutely deified here. Uh, the world at his feet. Uh, would you think that that ultimately is, is a hard existence on him, though, being in the public eye and being so big here in the city? Or do you think he, he gets a kick out of it? I mean... Just from talking to him, he was. Uh, we had this big uh, interview opportunity with him this summer in August when when the NHL had their media tour here, and he was. He he said that like one of his biggest dreams is just to sort of get a sense of what it would like to to play a playoff game in Vancouver, and mm-hmm. obviously this season, he will get that opportunity. So, um, I mean, if I mean if the season continues to go like this, I mean he's going to get. I mean, every opportunity to uh, to really see what it's like to have a, a positive experience uh, in a market like that. And I think, at least from my vantage point, I, I think that will, I mean, if, if he doesn't want to stay after that, then I don't know what, like, what could ever make him want to stay. But um, I think for sure he's... Uh, he should resign, and it's probably going to happen this summer. He even has a countryman across the table, and Patrick Alvin, which you know, I was you... going to say the scenario: yeah. they win Game One of the Stanley Cup playoffs of Roger Sarita, and Patrick Alvin goes racing into the dressing room <laughs> with a contract and a pen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's all set up. We can we can all see you know that it, it does work. Alvin himself needs a contract as well, potentially as well. But uh, talk about what, what that relationship could could be like going forward especially if the two of them have successes as, uh, as Vancouver Canucks yeah I mean obviously I I don't know what their relationship is like I guess just being able to to speak your native tongue should be an advantage in this I, I suppose but nothing gets lost in translation you're right yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> no gray areas there so I mean that should that should really work in their favor but um as I mentioned before like Elias is his own man you never know re- never really know what's going on in his mind so um i mean we hear all these crazy rumors that he wants to go to chicago i don't i don't know i don't i don't give much weight to that but mm-hmm. um he's um he's i i mean i i can't really find a reason for him not to stay in vancouver if i put what's, it what's that what's Patterson's profile at home right now is he a superstar right now is he amongst the biggest active players in the, in the nhl uh in sweden or is it is it still a growing presence no i mean he was big right because you all remember like the last season he had in sweden was it was the i mean it was the most spectacular Golden. thing we've seen in in <laughs> yeah. ages like uh it, especially from a, a junior age player so i mean um he was big already then and i think everyone started to understand just exactly how good he was and obviously since coming over it, it took took him a few years obviously to really reach um that kind of status but i mean now i would say he's obviously one of the biggest swedish names i mean 
William Nylander is also very popular. He's done some great things for the Swedish national team, which also goes a long way in these uh, circumstances. So, um, but I'd say for sure he's one of the biggest names over here. Well, and uh, both of them on 61 points as we head into yeah. Wednesday. So yeah. it's, a, it's a pretty good derby to be the leading Swedish scorer in the NHL this year. Ufe, help us out with this because we saw it with the twins here and Marcus. Um, Alfredson in Ottawa, Sundin in Toronto. It was like torturous for them to even think about leaving those franchises. There's a sense that Swedish players like to nest and just like to stay with the first team that they find in the National Hockey League. I'm wondering if you can shed any light on that. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting thing because I've thought about it too. I I don't really have, you know, a a good theory on why that is, but I guess, I guess they, I think Swedish players have, they're good at adapting when coming over. And I think like if they find a spot where they like, I don't, I think usually, I mean, it's, if they find this is a good spot for me, I think they they feel some kind of loyalty towards the organization. Like like the names you you mentioned there, I think that's something that goes for goes for all of those guys that they were really loyal to their organizations, and that that's also because they felt at home. Like, I mean, you can take William Nylander as an, another example. Like in his interview after signing that contract, he says, "But." like Toronto is my home now it's uh I've been here so long and I I really feel at home here so um and I think that goes for all those guys like if if they find a place I I don't you don't bleep with happy right so yeah yeah and and I'd say that Canada is a lot like Sweden so maybe that's why that is but Henrik Zetterberg and Detroit and Detroit's not very Swedish so I can't find a thread there makes a lot of sense I mean you're already adapting once why adapt a second time if you feel good in the city you're in when Patrick Alvine was hired, and we're coming up to two years, if we're not two years uh, today or this week, mm. uh, he said it was a big day for Swedish hockey. Halfway through, or more than halfway through the NHL season, Ufe, he could be the NHL executive of the year. Uh, a word or two uh, about what we're seeing from the first Swedish general manager in the National Yeah, um, I mean... I mean, at times it's been hard really to tell whether it's him or Jim Rutherford that actually calls the shots. But, I mean, um, I've been impressed. I mean, they've done a lot of changes to the franchise going back to to when they started. So, and uh, based on the results this far, I, I mean, you 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 got to give them credit, right? So, uh, um, I feel like uh, people are really paying attention to to stories about Alvine right now. I just see like the stories we uh, post on our websites uh, with Alvine, or when we have had the opportunity to to interview him. It's always like he it, it, people are really curious over here as well, like because as you mentioned, like you you don't see a lot of sweets in in positions like that. So um it's it's been impressive and i think uh, they're really onto something i mean if are the connects ready to to be a contender this year i don't know i mean it's it's a group that don't really have that much experience when it comes to to playoffs at least not in in the core group so to speak but um i'm really i'm really looking forward to what's next because i, I think there are going to be some some changes i mean in before the deadline and also this summer that could make the team even better. So um really intrigued about what's next. Lindholm, 
who may well be the best player available here at the trade deadline bar, barring a contract extension, and it doesn't look like that's coming, Ufe. Um, what do you think about Lindholm as a Vancouver Canuck, and what do you think Lindholm could bring to any of the suitors here who would be looking yeah. at him by the deadline? <clears throat> It's funny you mentioned because uh, on our podcast yesterday we discussed his future and um, we were sort of assigned with a task to to uh, like um, give our sort of um, advice like w- what team would he would be the best fit for him and for me it's the Canucks like especially now when you play if you're gonna play JT Miller and Elias together uh, then you have sort of a hole on the second line there and i think he would just slide in perfectly and be sort of a two-way presence that they might have missed since bo horvath was traded um and that obviously gives them um, a really strong second line that obviously if they want to go deep in the playoffs that would be enormous so maybe i mean a lot of people have been talking about uh, jake gensel for good reasons but i mean if you continue to to have Elias and, and JT Miller together, I mean, then then I think uh, Elias Lindholm would obviously be a better fit. And Lindholm staying staying after a trade would would sort of make sense from a strategic standpoint. It, it may not make sense yeah. from an NHL salary cap standpoint is the only thing exactly. because this would be Lindholm's last last chance to to get yeah. big significant NHL money, right? Yeah, right. I mean, he's been. He's been paying uh, well below his uh, his market value for for the past at least three years or so. So yeah, I mean he's gonna have a big payday if he goes on to to July first. That's for sure. So I don't know if if the Canucks are ready to go that far. Um, having a lot of young players in in the pipeline too that are really interesting. So I I don't know if that's the best fit for them. But I mean if they want to go for it this year, I think. Uh, he presents them with a, a really interesting uh, choice. What do you make and of, of course, uh, a Jim Rutherford draft pick way back when right. with the Carolina Hurricanes? Oh, yes. oh, yeah. Tell me, what's he like as a guy? Ufe? Like, uh, describe uh, Lindholm a little bit, the personality. I mean, outside rink, I would say he's very laid back and um, Swedish, <laughs> if you put it that way. But into the mold, um, yeah, yeah. But I, I think um, what a lot of people probably don't understand about him is he really hates to lose. I mean, he's a really fiery guy on the ice. Um, um, I think um, we saw that was it last week when he he I think he um, put someone into the bench or something like with a hit. And yeah, he I mean he's um, he's a really fiery guy. I don't think a lot of people understand that because he's so laid back and pretty calm outside the ice, but um yeah and i mean really good two-way presence i mean he's not having his best year but um a lot of calgary flames player not having the best year so and haven't had for the past two years so i it could be i mean if he comes to a an environment like the canucks where everything is going right now now right now i think that would benefit him and obviously benefit the canucks as well it could be a good Hol- Holglander with Lindholm yeah. with the fiery sleet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Before you go, let's talk about Holglander because, um, uh, you know, he burst onto the scene in the post-lockout uh, shortened season or post-COVID uh, shortened season and looked like he was just posed for for superstardom. Um, he took a step back after that and now has regained the scoring touch, has uh, added some defensive uh you know thoughts to his uh to his game a little bit 
Um, does this surprise you? Did you think he would get it back in regular NHL play? Because there was a lot of asterisks beside that post-COVID season. But now in the course of regular play, he's making it work again. Did you did you see a 20-goal scorer in, in Nils Hoagland? You know what? I thought he would get traded last season. Uh, mm-hmm. I was almost uh, convinced of that. But, I mean, you could see a big difference. I mean, he was not a player that Bruce Boudreau obviously liked. I mean, they even sent him to the to the AHL last year. So, But uh, under Tuckett, and he seems to me to be like a Tuckett guy because like he he has a lot of grit in his game mm. beside the finesse and, and the, the scoring touch that he's shown this season. So he's... Um, He's a player that can actually fill different roles, but um, 20 goals this year. No, I, I didn't have that on my bingo card. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, so it, he's been a pleasant surprise to me. Absolutely. But I think like uh, a guy like that, when he has confidence, I mean, he can do, I mean, just look at the goal he scored against uh, New York Rangers the other week, which was just spectacular. I mean, he, I mean, I think you, like the last few years in the SHL, like he had a goal of the year, like every year, because he's uh, capable of scoring these incredible goals that make your uh, jaw drop to the floor. So um, it's, uh, it, I mean, I'm really intrigued by his potential. Like, can he even take it further? Can he be a, a steady top six guy even? Um, not sure at this point, but I mean, this season is a, is a big step forward for him and just, uh gaining the trust of Rick Tuckett is going to go, it's going to mean a lot to him. Been a night and day turnaround for Jonathan Lekromaki, Ufe. Uh, last year at this time, we were so worried about him coming off that World Juniors where he was getting benched and couldn't find ice time. And we were looking the regular season, which wasn't going very well. And then he had that incredible playoffs and then he started strong. And now lo and behold, World Junior MVP. Uh, what's been behind this fantastic turnaround from Lekromaki and um, how ready do you think he'd be to come on over and play for the Canucks as soon as next year? Yeah, what's behind it? I, I think uh, like without knowing him and but I mean, I think I think he gained a lot of confidence. You mentioned the playoffs he had and like he had a pretty significant injury before that. So he sort of I think it took the chance to really reset after that tough start to the season. And I think this year he came out really strong. It, it, it proves that he had a really good summer because like the skill has always been there. It's always been a question of just with Elias Pedersen before he came over. It's just, it was always a question of like, what's his physical status? Like uh, how strong can he be? Like, cause uh, I mean, Lekermek is a pretty small guy and he's, he's pretty, I mean, pretty, I mean, small in his body too. It's not like the the guy that will build a lot of muscle. But um, just from what he's shown this year, it's, it's a big step for me. I mean, especially going from Alsvenskan to playing the SHL and really scoring there at, I mean, basically a impressive uh, pace. So um, I think just the physical growth and... Um, confidence and getting a just getting an opportunity to play uh consistently uh has meant a lot um and will he be ready for the nhl i don't know maybe i mean considering what the canucks have right now maybe it's good that he if he starts in the nhl next year or i mean when when his season is over i know he's gonna go over and and probably play with abbotsford um so i think that might be a sort of a 
good start for him to ease him in because I, I don't really see if he doesn't play the power play or have a top six scoring role. I don't really know like if, if there's a point to having him in the NHL. Um, so I think he would probably be better off maybe starting out in Abbotsford, just um, uh, getting a feel for what it's like to play pro or, or at your side of the pond and, and take it from there. They they might need the cheap talent though if all these yeah, uh, big we'll cap hits. Yeah. yeah, we'll see. That's true. Um, that's true. Of course, that's part of the puzzle now in the National Hockey mm-hmm. League. Ufa, yeah. it's been wonderful catching up, my friend. Thank you for the time here. Wish you the best there in Sweden. We'll catch up down the road here soon. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation Applewood Auto Group. You can text us 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. A few football things I want to get to here before we get into poll question results, errors and omissions, and Betway bets of the day. Uh, We'll start in the Canadian Football League. Drew Brown, the fine backup quarterback with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who had previously been traded to the Ottawa Red Blacks, Winnipeg knowing they're not going to be able to re-sign him, um, has now signed. And and Mason Fine re-signed in Saskatchewan. So you've got a little bit of a scramble now with the teams that aren't necessarily set at backup quarterback, and that includes the British Columbia Lions. Now, I've been texting with Farhan Lalji, and he tells me the Lions are interested in Chris Strebler. You may remember former Winnipeg quarterback helped them get that first Grey Cup victory uh, before going down to the National Football League and trying to make it, spent some time with the Arizona Cardinals, with the New York Jets. Trevor has been released from the NFL. Uh, many now believe he is going to make his return to the uh, to the Canadian Football League, and the Lions have some interest there. He's a different kind of quarterback, as we know. He almost plays quarterback like a fullback. He is a big, strapping yeah. guy who is quick to run the football. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure he's the pure system backup you want to Vernon Adams, but by the same token, he could allow them to package and do some different things with the quarterback run game plus he's so much fun to watch play not to mention quite a character off the field so we'll see where this goes we're three weeks away from canadian football league free agency of course metchia betts is still out there as an unsigned ufa as is ben laddick the middle linebacker from vernon and ubc and josh woods their other free agent linebacker who may well get an nfl opportunity here nfl teams are 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 already allowed to sign players for next year so we'll see We'll see where that goes. In the National Football League, Tuesday we talked about the injury to San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Debo Samuel, although it's almost limiting to call him a wide receiver with how versatile he is in their uh, in their offensive scheme. So that's a big one to watch in the NFC Championship game because needless to say, that makes life a lot easier for a Detroit team that is really not very good at cornerback uh, in terms of covering the 49ers in the AFC game there is an injury and it's not often you talk about an offensive guard being a potential insurmountable or difficult injury to mitigate 
But that is the case with Kansas City, where Joe Thune, their all-pro guard, suffered a pec injury in the divisional round. He didn't practice on Wednesday. He's apparently going to try everything to play on Sunday. But here's the thing. Kansas City has had trouble at both offensive tackle spots, and now you're facing that Baltimore defense with the potential of a guard playing at not full health and not full ability. It's one thing for to be bad at offensive tackle. Typically takes those defensive ends, those edge rushers, uh, an extra half second to get to the quarterback. Some of that can be mitigated with A, the genius of Patrick Mahomes, and B, the play-calling genius of Andy Reid getting the ball out quickly. But if you're bad at guard and you've got pressure coming up the middle, Blake, remember we would get to this round of the NFL playoffs for years, and what did we always say about Tom Brady? You've got to be able to pressure him up the middle, get into his face, get into his field of vision, force the off-platform throw, right? You don't want him to be able to get to the launch point and throw the ball from where the play is designed. You wonder whether some of that is going to be at play for Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City against Baltimore on Sunday. They don't get sacked much. We saw, no. was, there, was there a sack in the I don't believe he did. Unless he got sacked late against the Bills. There was and, no sack for either team. No, right. And, and I think a large part of that was Andy Reid and the Kansas City offensive staff understanding, look, we're not very good here at offensive tackle. We have to mitigate what we're doing based on our weaknesses up front and make sure the ball gets out quickly or you know make sure we have help in pass protection either with tight ends or with running backs. So uh, some interesting chessboard matchups, I think, in both the NFC and the AFC title games on Sunday. Looking forward to it. Other kind of football? Um, are you done with the NFL? Yes. Uh, Brian White was a... Uh, out of U.S. men's national team duty, has arrived in Marbella, Spain. So he's joined the Whitecaps there uh, as training camp continues. Again, we are a week and a half away from them playing a match. <laughs> and a real Victoria. match. Yeah. Yeah, a real match, like a counting match. Not a, not an exhibition, not a preseason tune-up. Tigris. So, uh, Champions League. He's he's obviously fit because he's been with the U.S. men's national team. So he'll, he'll, uh, he won't skip a beat. But now uh, everybody accounted for in Spain. Poll question results from Tuesday. We asked you, Canucks and Bruins, top two teams in the league, do you want to see a Stanley Cup rematch? Yes or no? What did the people say, Blake? Uh, they said yes. Indeed. Percentage? 68. 60. Hmm. Deedlebug, if the Canucks get to the finals, it doesn't matter who they play. I'll be thrilled. <laughs> Jack, Toronto would be the most must-watch series ever. Had some fun it with that with the NHL, Frankie though. Corrado on that today. Leo says, Rangers, we get revenge on the 94 final, and then we can get revenge for 2011 next year. Oh, Big plans, Back-to-back visits. <laughs> well, on that thought, why don't you go 82 Islanders, and then you get to face The Islanders have to that. make the playoffs yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Plus, I... I I don't think there are many Canucks fans that are sore about 82. No. For, for one, just getting to that final was a miracle. And I use that term uh, specifically because of what the Kings did to the 
Oilers nor, that year. Nor are secondly, they uh, mad at Bo Horvat. Yeah, yeah. Well, and secondly, and I know Harold gave the way the puck to Mike Bossy, but I think you could play that series 100 times and the Islanders were winning 99 of them. In sweeps. <laughs> that was one of, if not the best uh, dynasty in National Hockey League history. 19 consecutive playoff series won. If you want to get into a debate about hockey records that won't be broken, and of course, for years we thought the Gretzky goal record wouldn't be broken, then people started saying, oh, maybe Alex has got a chance of it. There are so many Gretzky records that won't be broken. That is a team and league record that in a cap world I think you can say with certainty. 19 consecutive playoff series wins? No, don't think that will ever be broken. Errors and omissions from Tuesday's program and beyond. And I'm going to throw this out there that I'm going to duck and cover. Tate McRae is not solely a YouTuber. She's an artist and a musician, Blake Price. Who has discovered where? Justin Bieber was the same thing. Yeah. YouTube is simply a means of distribution. Right. In the old days, she would have been discovered by some A&R rep who went to a concert. You said she's not simply a YouTuber. No. She rose to fame and continues to extract a large part of her income from YouTube. But at some point, you become a pop star more than a YouTube star. Well, like is Mr. Beast not a YouTuber because he's now a philanthropist and all, and wow. has has like like he's a YouTuber. So like that's you know where you got your start. I think is really what you are. Is it is that not the case? Particularly in the, in this era. Hey, it was David Quadrelli that was taking issue with yeah. this on Canucks combo. Uh, and frankly, again, ducks. I'm with Quadrelli. Quads. Gen Zers, man. I you're tell ya. you're with quads. What do you mean you're with oh, quads? Well, because I I'm think just you reduced it out. her, and and, when, and also the connotation when you say she's a YouTuber. I didn't say just. Okay, but that you notes is she doing things on YouTube? What that are a little more scandalous? No, it does not. I think most people think you're doing like video game reactions no, and I, stuff like, I that. Hear like you. that. That's what I think of for YouTubers. Mm-hmm. It seems more quaint, but again, Mr. Beast is like a billionaire, so I don't think it's that quaint anymore to call somebody a YouTuber. Like, we're YouTubers. Now. I was just going to say, are we we're did, did we start on YouTube? No, did we start on YouTube? Did we start on YouTube? Did we gain our hey. notoriety on YouTube? No. I made you the YouTube stars. Never forget oh. that. <laughs> Listen to my this. idea oh to my start God. populating the feeds. Oh, my God. We've already Never had forget. one wrestling manager on the program today. We don't need a second bit oh my along gosh. those lines. Oh, my gosh. Betway bets of the daytime. I mentioned three weeks before CFL free agency, uh, the Lions have re-signed many of their key guys. It looks like Winnipeg is going to lose some talent here. BC, the third choice to win the Grey Cup here at home in November at plus 600. Get in before Bets and others resign here on your Betway bet of the day. Uh, I'm taking Novak to beat Yannick Sinner at the oh. Australian Open. That's not a big thing, but oh. uh, if you call it in straight sets, ah. uh, it's 240, which I'll take. 
Those are some interesting-looking men's semifinals. By the me- way, meanwhile, you got a great story on the women's side with an unseated Ukrainian who is vying in the semifinals. Could be an emotional win. By the yes. way, it, it technically is 240 for either guy to win in straight sets. Um, you don't need to declare whom, but I think it's more likely going to be Novak winning in straight sets. On your Betway bets of the day, must be 19-plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. And... Thanks for watching YouTube, 11.30 a.m. daily, a live Sakarison Price. So check that out. Remember, subscribe to the podcast, us, Rinkwide, and Canucks Conversation, wherever you get your pods. Follow on social, Twitter, Facebook, Insta, TikTok, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsor here you hear us talking about. Keep it local.